I'm Tanvi Nasir, and this is Leadership Biz Cafe, a podcast that provides insights and tools to help leaders take on the challenges and opportunities found in leading today's workplaces. Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tanvi Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers keynotes and corporate trainings in both virtual and in-person settings that will help you to improve the way you lead and guide your organization's growth and future successes. To find out how we can help you today with your leadership challenges and discover your untapped opportunities, visit our website at tanvinasir.com. And now I'd like to introduce you to my guest for this episode, Professor Kim Cameron. Kim is the Professor Emeritus of Management and Organizations in the Ross School of Business and Professor of Higher Education in the School of Education at the University of Michigan. For the past 20 years, he's been researching the impact virtuousness has on organizations and their employees, writing over 130 academic articles and 15 scholarly books. Kim has also been recognized as among the top 10 organizational scholars in the world whose work has been most frequently downloaded on Google. He's also the author of the book, Positively Energizing Leadership, Virtuous Actions and Relationships that Create High Performance, which I'll be talking to Kim about in this episode. Hi, Kim. Welcome to the Leadership Biz Cafe. Thank you, Tenbeer. Boy, is it ever a a thrill and an opportunity. I'm flattered to be invited. So uh, I know you're making a big difference. I'm happy to be a guest and hope I can contribute. Oh, I know you're going to contribute, Kim, because your book was a fascinating read. I mean, uh, granted, I am biased because there's a lot of research, there's a lot of science that's featured in your book to kind of make the argument, look, you don't have to trust my word. Here's the data. Here's the proof. And someone who coming from a science background, that definitely appeals to me. But I think even just the subject material here is so pertinent and relevant, and I think timely, to be honest with you, with everything going on in the world and how we're looking at this shift in how we approach and view the work environment. So I'm really glad to have you here to have this conversation. Well, you're very kind. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm delighted. So, Kim, I think many of us have a clear understanding of what physical and emotional energy is. But positive energy is not so obvious. And I think just having the word positive in the descriptor leads to a wide range of assumptions as to what this is. And what I found interesting as I read about it in your book was how the idea behind it is derived from the biological sciences and how this particular type of energy doesn't function the way other forms of energy like physical and mental energy do. So how would you describe positive energy, Kim, and how does it differ from what we conventionally think and understand about energy? You're impressive, Tanvir, because you've read this. Holy cow, I'm I'm a delight and impressed. So you've mentioned there are various kinds of energy. One's physical energy, which when we use it, it diminishes. I mean, if I run a marathon, I can't do it again. Emotional energy, similarly, if I get in a debate, an intense conversation or you know, uh, in, in, I go to a ball game, for example, and cheer and scream. I'm, I get tired. I get exhausted. I need recuperation time. Mental energy is the same. That's why we have weekends, semester breaks, those kind of things. We, we just need a, a break from the mental energy generally uh, associated with work. The only kind of energy that elevates with use is called relational energy. 
What's relational energy? Well, when I interact with Tenvir, what happens to my energy? Is he uplifting, elevating, life-giving? Or is he exhausting, depleting, just sucks the life right out of me? In, in which case, he would be a de-energizer. So relational energy is the energy that occurs in a relationship. And it's the only kind of energy that renews itself. It elevates with use. I mean, when do you get exhausted by being around a person with whom you have a loving, supportive relationship? That's renewing. I mean, when, when, they, when we get exhausted with other kinds of energies, it's often the case that we seek out relational energy, positive relational energy. It's uplifting. So the research that we've uh, done for the last uh, 10 years or so, and the kind of research that's uh, described in this book has to do with fostering relational energy. And relational energy is not only self-renewing, but it has big impact on organization performance, on individual performance, uh, on the kind of relationships that occur in teams. It has implication for how we rear our children and how we treat our colleagues, the kind of incentive systems we put in organizations and so on. So positive relational energy has emerged over the last maybe 10 years of the research as kind of a new phenomenon. And what's interesting about that, I'm going on too long, but what's interesting about that is it is what's called a heliotropic phenomenon. That is, there's something called the heliotropic effect, which originally was studied back in the 1800s, in the early 1900s, and then sort of got lost. That is, we know that uh, plants, for example, are attracted to light. If you put a plant in the window, over time, it will lean toward the light, which is an example of what's called the heliotropic effect, which is defined as follows. Every living system, Everything alive, literally, from single cell organisms to complex human systems, everything alive has a tendency toward the light and away from dark, or toward positive energy, away from negative energy. See, in nature, the sun is the source of positive energy. It's the life-giving force. So most accurately defined, the heliotropic effect is every living system is attracted to that which gives life, and repelled is repelled by or avoids that which endangers or detracts from life. And that makes sense. You think of evolutionary processes over time. Every species is attracted to that which gives life, life enhancing, and avoids that which is life endangering or life, life depleting. Photosynthesis, life uh, itself, happens only in the presence of life. So this book simply um, was written in order to highlight a phenomenon that we know exists, that we, but we by and large ignore it. We at least don't manage it. We don't help organizations flourish by making a part of what we do every day, what we foster every day, what we reward every day. You know, what I really enjoyed about your book, Kim, was how the premise of positively energizing leadership is not only based on that biological function, namely the heliotropic effect, but also how in discussing positive energy as it relates to leadership, you share empirical evidence for why this is key to being effective at leadership. So now that we have this understanding of what positive energy is, I'd love it if you could share some study findings with our listeners for why positive energy should become something they need to focus on 
not just in terms of their leadership, but also in terms of employee performance and retention? Well, I'll tell you, one answer to that question is the result of an interview study I did with 600 executives, all of whom had been identified as positively energizing leaders and also interviewed people about them. And there are several questions, but the main question was, what are the attributes of positively energizing leadership or leaders? What do they do? Who in the world are they? And what kind of impact do they have? Well, there's a long list, but I'm going to give you a few examples on that list. Now, when I, when I give you these examples, no one is more important than the other, at least so far. Uh, no research says, aha, this is, the, this is the number one, and there are others that are less important. So there, there are a variety of these that are important, but here are some. So one of the outstanding uh, attributes of positively energizing leaders is that they help other people flourish and often without, most of the time, without expecting a return. That is, their motives are to help people become more, dream more, be more, you know, learn more as a result of their interaction. It's what mothers do with children. I mean, I don't need a reward to have my children flourish. And that's the whole goal, for heaven's sake. That's what dads and moms do. So that's one attribute in an organization. They simply help other people flourish around them. And as it turns out, one of the major findings in the research is if you have a positive energizer, if, I, if Tanvir is a positive energizer and I can just get around him, my performance goes up. There's overwhelming data that says that's the case. Positively energizing leaders are also those who are virtuous in a number of ways. They express gratitude to others. They express humility. They are trustworthy, of course, trusting. They help identify meaningfulness and purpose in jobs. It's not just a job, not just an assignment, just not a title. There is something more profound, more important. There's an impact beyond just my benefit. They help point those out. They help turn mistakes into learning opportunities. So forgiveness and helping other people flourish, even when they make mistakes is another. And then finally, let me just highlight one more. Positively energizing leaders also capitalize on the positive energy of those around them. So positive energizers unleash the potential of other positive energizers. They don't compete with them. They don't say, I want to make sure I'm in charge. Not at all. I mean, if I'm a positive energizer and you're a positive energizer, I mean, there's no reason to be jealous of or to fight about or to try to influence the other person. I don't have to be in charge if somebody else is a positive energizer because positive energy is heliotropic. I'm attracted to positive energizers and my performance goes up in their presence. So those are just some of the uh, behaviors not rocket science, and maybe the most important principle of all of, the, all of that discussion is that anyone can be a positive energizer. It's not rocket science. So positively energizing leadership is not um, something that, you know, it takes a, a medical degree or a physics degree or psychology degree to be able to pull off effectively. Anybody can do it. 
You know, Kim, there's something you wrote about in your book that I'd like to highlight here that builds on what you just mentioned. That is that as with many aspects of leadership, being able to tap into positive energy, becoming a positive energizer is not an innate trait, but is a set of behaviors, some of which you described just now, that anyone can learn to make a part of their leadership and who they are. In fact, there's a fantastic argument you make in your book where you point out how we all can't be the most influential person in the organization, but we all can become positive energizers because as you just mentioned, unlike other energy sources, there isn't a capacity limit at play here where it diminishes the more we use it. Or if someone else is a positive energizer, that that means we're going to become in competition or in conflict. But like, as you mentioned, we're actually just going to fuel one another to bring even more of that positive energy. And there's another point I'd like to mention here is how you write in your book, how no one is always a positive energizer or what you call the opposite, a de-energizer, as there are relationships we have with people that are positively energizing, and there are others that are clearly de-energizing. So in that context, what are some steps we can take to expand in our leadership, our ability to be positive energizers and less of a de-energizer for some people and some members of our team? Thank you, Tendria. That's an important point. Let me highlight two or three things about that. Excuse me. One is, I don't know for sure, but 90%, I would guess, 90% of the leadership literature equates influence and leadership. If you're influential, that means you're a leader. You can get people to follow you. Everybody uh, uh, will respond to your commands and so on. Influence and leadership generally are synonymous. And that's okay with me. But the problem with that is, if I am influential and Tenvir is influential, we disagree, the result is likely to be conflict of some kind. I mean, of the 42 wars on the planet, they're all essentially who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be the most influential? Who's going to get their way? So influence almost always leads to some kind of competition or conflict. On the other hand, if Tanvir is a positive energizer, I'm a positive energizer, and we disagree, well, now that's heliotropic. See, we are attracted to one another. And there's no reason to compete about who's the most positively energizing. That's crazy. It's not physical energy. I mean, extroversion and introversion are not related to positive energy. You can be an extrovert and just exhaust people as opposed to energizing them. So it's not personality, it's a set of behaviors. And as it turns out, if Tanvir is a positive energizer, I'm attracted to him and I do better. So collaboration, some kind of uh, mutual uh, support is most likely to result from energy as opposed to influence. Now, I, um, I wish that I knew a single thing that was the most important uh, activity to do as a positive energizer. Uh, but there are, and there's not one that I know of, but there are several that let me just mention. In most organizations, I mean, we're constantly managing, we're, we're constantly managing information, constantly managing achievement, constantly managing rewards. And we would give, when you do well, people get, get a reward. We make you give you a better title. We move you up the line or something. The question is, does anybody ever manage contribution? I mean, does anybody ever get rewarded for being a contributor or an opportunity to contribute as a result of high performance? Because it's more important 
than receive. So one of the elements, one of the factors that differentiates positively energizers from others is the fact is the extent to which they are contrib contributors, the extent to which they contribute to other people, help them flourish. It's one of those uh, common factors, but uh, you know, not managed uh, as well as much as we would like. To. So that's one factor. Uh, there are there are some others. I don't know if we want to keep going, but let me highlight one other. By the way, one of the ways that get manifested just occurs to me in organizations is that positive energizers help other people uh, do jobs, get noticed, uh, are given plum assignments, good assignments that bring, uh, you know, happiness, joy, recognition or something to them. And they're not selfish. It's the opposite of making darn sure I get the credit. I want to be famous. I don't care much about what happens to you, but I want to be famous. It's not that at all. It's the opposite. And what happens is when I'm a contributor, it redounds to my benefit. So, Kim, we've been talking about the importance of positive energy and some of the behaviors and actions associated with positive relational energy. But I'd like to flip the conversation here and address not only those leaders who might still be skeptical about this, but also what to do about those employees who bring the energy down for the whole team. But before we do, here's a message from our sponsor. If you're looking to build a profitable side hustle that also impacts people, then you need to look at becoming a certified leadership coach with Giant. If you don't already know, Giant has been in the leadership space for over 13 years. They used to own and operate the John Maxwell brands. They ran the LeaderCast conferences where Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Malcolm Gladwell, and Simon Sinek were regular speakers and a lot more. They have over 500 coaches working in over 127 countries, and their coaches are being hired by companies like Pfizer, Chick-fil-A, Delta, and more. And yes, you can do this too. Giant literally gives you everything you need to start your own leadership coaching business from scratch. You get hands-on free training from top-level coaches to learn the exact methodology and tools that six-figure coaches are using an all-in-one online platform to run your entire coaching business, even if you want to work 100% remotely. And you'll get to join a thriving community of coaches from around the world. To get started, Giant is hosting a coaching business workshop to help you learn the ins and outs of how to build a successful coaching business, even if you're just starting out. This workshop is 100% free and you can reserve your spot by going to giant.tv slash Tanvir. If you're ready to impact people and get paid to do it, go to giant.tv slash Tanvir. You know, Kim, I remember giving keynotes 10 plus years ago where I'd point out to the leaders in the audience that it's not enough to manage employee performance. You also have to be building and nurturing relationships with those you lead if you want to encourage your employees to continue to deliver their best. And invariably, I'd have one or two leaders who'd come and speak to me afterwards and say how this is a nice to have, but for them, it's not mission critical. And yet just a few weeks ago, I was giving a talk on how to sustain those relationships in an increasingly virtual world. And one leader I spoke with afterwards admitted this was one of his biggest concerns, that if he couldn't walk the office floor and see his employees, how could he know they were doing well, not in terms of their work, but in terms of their mental well-being? And as I was reading your book and seeing all the evidence you share that backs up why this is so important, 
I could still see some leaders out there holding fast and thinking, yet again, this is a nice-to-have idea, but we've got so many uncertainties right now. We're dealing with a talent shortage and employee burnout. I just don't have time to add something like this to my workload. So I would love it if you could share some advice here on how to counter this mindset, because let's face it, it's easy to be and feel rather negative right now. So how can we get people over this hurdle and especially realize how supporting and encouraging positive relational energy can actually help in driving sustainable momentum towards addressing all those issues and uncertainties many leaders are now grappling with? It's such a good question and such a difficult question to answer because I suspect everybody in every organization is saying, well, that's not exactly my situation or it's you know I'm I'm it's worse than worse than you're talking about in my place. Once in a while people will say, Cameron, this is toxic positivity. I mean you're telling me in a very stressful, high anxiety situation, just think happy thoughts. Just smile. Just be optimistic. That just makes me mad. That just it, it exacerbates the problem. It's toxic positivity. So that's not at all what this positive energy is advocating. It's not toxic positivity. It's not trying to um, blanket over the really difficult problems that are going on. It's not trying to say, you know, smile your way out of this problem or just think happy thoughts. Everything is going to be okay eventually because it's not eventually. So um, being empathetic toward and, and, and sympathetic toward the really difficult situations that many people face uh, is sort of step one, at least for me it is. Now, there are two different uh, kind of embedded questions. One is what about uh, virtual environments where you can't connect? And the other one is, yeah, but how about a lot of burnout, uh, people who are burned out and stressed and just, just hanging on with white knuckles? Well. Um, one of the reasons I mentioned a couple of studies, only two of maybe 50 studies, showing that virtuousness is heliotropic. That is, virtuous actions will lead to positive energy. That's among, among the um, empirically derived relationships I'm trying to highlight in the book. Virtuousness fosters, highlights positive energy. Because the answer for me, one answer for me regarding burnout and difficult situations is to enhance, foster, create more opportunities for virtuousness. Now, I know that this can be criticized, but there's a whole bunch of studies on, for example, just having people begin keeping a gratitude journal. What does that mean? That means five minutes before you go to bed tonight, write down the three best things that happened to you today or three things for which you're grateful. Turns out there's a whole bunch of studies that highlight the impact of gratitude, practicing gratitude on, uh, on the performance, on the well-being of other people. Uh, some people say, oh, my gosh, you're, Cameron, you're telling me to keep a gratitude journal when it's so difficult. And actually, I am. I'm suggesting that that single practice, there's so much research that suggests that it makes a big difference. 
you know, heart rhythms are different. Uh, nervous system is different. You know, uh, coherence in your body is different and um, a whole bunch of physiological factors. Um, <clears throat> so that's one practice. Another practice, <clears throat> I think Delta Airlines is an example of an organization that gets it right. So I'm a frequent flyer on Delta. What does Delta give me for being a loyal flyer? They give me certificates. I just got them last week again. The certificates, I can give a certificate to a Delta employee who does something spectacular, unusual, who's uh, especially effective in their jobs. Uh, a flight attendant, a gate agent, a, a baggage handler, a reservation maker or whatever. The certificate is either free flights, it's points in their bank, it's it makes them eligible for a company-wide award and so on. When I give a flight attendant a certificate, I mean, I've seen tears, I've gotten hugs. I've said, people have said, man, you made my whole week. This is so important. That is my reward. And that uh, creates loyalty to and a desire to be a part of Delta. I get a chance to help contribute, make a difference in somebody else's life. It's just another practice. I want to find a way to help somebody else flourish. You know? Now, I, I may be repeating myself a little bit, but those are two kinds of factors. Well, Kim, we've been talking about what leaders can do to be positive energizers so they can help their organization flourish. But I'm sure there are several listeners right now who are thinking about that colleague or one of their employees who's more of an energy drain for the team and can't see them becoming one of those positive energizers. And you actually discuss this in your book, calling such individuals black holes, which is such a great visualization. So to be clear here, what we're talking about are those people who are negative about everything. They're divisive and abrasive. And let's be honest, we've all encountered these types who you basically do your best to steer clear of and avoid. But as a leader, and especially in the context of positively energizing leadership, it's your job to not only get the best out of everyone, but to help them thrive. And you have a fantastic four-step process you write about in your book that I was wondering if you could share with our listeners who might be wondering how they can feel positive relational energy within their team if they have one of these black hole employees essentially sucking the energy out of everyone. You know, it really is true. Hopefully you don't have those folks around you, but almost every organization does. So here's the four-step process. Number one, provide feedback. But there's a tool or a technique or an important practice about ways to do that. Giving feedback in the normal way, hey, you're a jerk, you're screwing up, will create defensiveness, and as people feel attacked, they'll likely either defend themselves or fight back, and or it will create what's called disconfirmation. I feel worthless, I feel uh, incompetent, I feel uh, unimportant, and so on, in which case normally people simply withdraw. Either way, uh, the normal way to give negative feedback damages the relationship, doesn't help people flourish. So how do we do it in a way that helps people flourish? Well, that's called supportive communication, providing feedback in a way that strengthens a relationship. So one of the ways to, to give supportive feedback is number one, ask questions. What's going on? 
me see if I can understand. That's, of course, step number one. And then step number two is really literally giving supportive communication, which involves three things. One is, let me describe exactly what I just observed, objectively. I don't say you're, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're, you're screwing up, you're making a mess. I'd rather say, let me just show you, let me just tell you what I observed. I observed in the meeting that you interrupted Susie or John or somebody uh, several times. I mean, I'm making this up for heaven's sake but I objectively describe. Second step, I identify the consequences or the result or my reaction to that. Just shut everybody down, people stop participating. See, I'm still not ever attacking or evaluating the person. I'm never saying you're screwed up, you're, you're wrong. I'm simply saying, let me tell you what I observed, let me tell you the consequences. Step three, most important, here is an alternative that's more acceptable. You may want to try this instead. And then if that's not okay, then we, then we talk about alternatives that we can, we find an alternative we can agree on. So never do I evaluate or attack or denigrate another person. Rather, I'm simply trying to say, let me give you an option that's more acceptable. That's supportive feedback. So step one, supportive feedback. And if the person believes I have his or her best interest at heart, most of the time they're reasonably open to that kind of feedback. But if not, if they say, well, tough, not my fault, or that's just the way I am, which sometimes happens. Step two, training, development, coaching, mentoring. We're gonna ask so-and-so to come and we wanna have you spend a little bit of time with this person who we think is a very high performer, we wanna have you be as high a performer as that. We wanna help you get better. Let me give you some options. You send them to HR, I don't know what happens in organizations, but training and development is or coaching, helping somebody improve. I want you to grow in your, in your role. I want you to be more successful. So let me give you some, uh, some help. Step, if that doesn't work, and most of the time it does. Step three, Make them peripheral. Take the microphone out of their hand. Isolate the virus. Uh, take them off stage. So I got to keep that surgeon, but let him do surgery over in that wing of the hospital. Give him a couple of nurses who fight back. But don't let him infect the whole rest of the system. I have to keep that person fine, but I want to make darn sure that we the whole organization doesn't denigrate, isn't doesn't uh, diminish as a result. If that doesn't work, and most of the time it does. Step four, help them flourish elsewhere. Now, that doesn't mean you throw them out with the garbage. That means you're not flourishing here. We're not flourishing here. Let's find a place where you can, but it won't be here. Now, sometimes that's just changing jobs, changing you know, uh, locations or something. Sometimes it's, it's not just not working. I want you to flourish, but I can't. it's not happening here. So let me help you. Now, that's step four, not step one. That's not the first thing we do is, you know, toss somebody or fire them. Rather, we say, I want to help you get better. Never do I stop that motive. I want to help you get better. So I have tried everything else I know. Let's find some, let's find another place. So that's, those, that's the sort of formula 
Uh, and there will be lots of different uh, situations where people say, that oh, doesn't work for me. What about if it's, what, what happens if it's my boss? Turns out the formula doesn't change. Going to my boss and say, let me tell you what I just observed. Let me tell you the consequences of that. Let me make a suggestion for something that may help us more. Where our performance will go up if this alternative is considered. Even upward feedback will work in that, in that situation. I can't make somebody peripheral, of course, but I can do the first two steps. So, Kim, over the course of our conversation, we've talked about how positive energy improves organizational performance as well as employee satisfaction. But I'm wondering if you have any last thoughts to encourage our listeners to make sure they're taking full advantage of positive relational energy as we're seeing this not as a limited resource, but a self-generating energy source that can help them to not only address the challenges before them, but achieve those gains research has clearly shown leaders and organizations earn when they bring more positive energy into their workplace. Thank you, Tanvir. Uh, by the way, you you ask great questions. Uh, it's, not, it's not surprising you're having such big impact all around the world. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Um, one of the things that occurs to me, it was so quite surprising actually, is that I read a study that was a summary of what's called a meta-analysis of 700 studies. These studies were all studies of how do you foster diversity, equity, and inclusion? That's, that's a very hot topic in many organizations. And for some organizations, it's become the number one goal. That is foster, enhance, and enable diversity, equity, and inclusion. So in this study, there were two major strategies. One strategy is what's called a demographic strategy simply make certain that there's a representative from all kinds of different demographic groups. I mean, gender, ethnicity, uh, uh, pre uh, you know, personal pre preferences, um, skin color, language, and so on. Make sure there's a representative from each of those groups in the team, in the leadership group, whatever. That's one strategy, common strategy. A second strategy is what's called a training strategy. Make sure everybody in the organization has unconscious bias training, has microaggression training, has white supremacy training, or whatever. Well, the result of this uh, survey of that uh, meta-analysis of the 700 studies was not only don't those strategies help over the long term, in many cases, it gets worse. Well, and there's lots more to say about that, but that's the result. Well, if that's not going to work, what will? My prescription is simply virtuous actions. I mean, embed in the organization gratitude, forgiveness, trust, integrity, uh, generosity, contribution, and so on. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter the language you speak. It doesn't matter whether or not your parents are or are not uh, you know, uh, locally born. All that matters is I care about helping other people flourish. That's a positively energizing leader. That, in fact, can you imagine what the world would be like if we all decided we were going to be virtuous in our actions? 
we were going to be like good moms and good dad, good dads, except to one another. So uh, at least in that major societal issue, which is an issue, I think that this idea of positively energizing leadership, which is highly dependent on virtuous practices, is a way out. And by the way, what we have not done is to share all the studies done about profitability and productivity and quality and all those kinds of things. But sure enough, the data is very clear. Things go, go up. So that's not a major prescription. It's not a really pithy statement to conclude tenure, but it's a finding that I, found, that I was surprised at. And I feel like this is one way to help make that uh, more appropriate, more, uh, you know, improve. It's a way to improve our current situation. Kim, I have to thank you for such an enjoyable read and conversation. Again, it's easy now when there's so much cynicism and negativity out there for us to discount positive energy and positive relational energy as being critical to our ability to succeed, which is why I appreciated how grounded your work is in both the scientific principle of the heliotropic effect, as well as numerous studies, some of which you've included, that have conclusively shown a correlation between positively energizing leadership and organizational and employee performance. Now, it's not to say, as I mentioned before, that there won't be leaders who resist this, much as I encountered and still encounter leaders who question the need to foster and nurture relationships with those that they lead. But as your work has shown, and what we're seeing happening in organizations across industries and countries, those leaders and organizations stand to pay a hefty price for that unwillingness to embrace what's necessary to not only do right by their employees, but especially in creating that environment that encourages them to bring their best efforts to the work they do. So thank you so much for this fascinating conversation, Kim. I really enjoyed learning about your work and speaking to you about it here. And Veer, you're spectacular. You're a hero. Thank you very much for allowing me to be with you today. That's very kind of you. Thanks so much, Kim. I appreciate it. So an interesting conversation on how leaders can tap into this little discussed energy source called positive energy to bring out the best in those they lead and help their organization succeed and thrive. And as Kim pointed out, there is a wealth of research to back up how positive energy can help you improve the way you lead. And if you want an approachable, an easy to understand look at positive energy and leadership, I highly recommend you check out Kim's book. So to learn more about Kim's book and his work, check out the show notes for this episode, which you can find a link to on our podcast page at tamvinasir.com slash LBC. And if you enjoyed learning about this topic, I'd like to encourage you to subscribe to our podcast. If you go to our podcast page at tamvinasir.com slash LBC, you'll find links to subscribe to our podcast on all the major streaming platforms. Subscribing to our podcast will ensure you catch our latest episodes when they come out, and you'll also get the chance to check out our past episodes where we might have discussed a topic or issue you're interested in learning more about to help you improve the way you lead. Now, before we wrap up this episode, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you're enjoying my podcast, I'd appreciate it if you could rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to our show that supports listener ratings and reviews. And that way, you're going to be a positive energizer like Kim described here in helping others discover our podcast and learn how they can do better as leaders too. I'm Tavin Nasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.